Shalom, shalom. Welcome to JTeach On Air. JTeach's podcast that explores exciting, fun, and interesting aspects of Jewish culture, Jewish traditions, and Jewish religion. We also look into some of the global and local events impacting Jews around the world and connect with some incredible guests along the way. Thank you for joining us on this amazing journey. Facing History and Ourselves is an organization that helps teens and teachers deal with difficult topics like racism, genocide, and Holocaust studies. It is renowned internationally, but is particularly known in the United States and in Canada. Today we're speaking with Lior Schaefer, who is the Executive Director of Facing History and Ourselves Canada. Shalom, shalom, and welcome back to JTeach on Air. Today we're talking with Lior Schaefer, who's the Executive Director of Facing History and Ourselves Canada. Good afternoon, Liora. Well, it's morning now, but uh, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much, Corey. Good. It's such a pleasure to have you here. I'm sure our listeners will get a lot out of our conversation. Um, let's just, let's start right off. I, I, obviously, we're here to talk today about, uh, more about Facing History, but I want to hear a little bit more about you and how you got involved with Facing History. So what's, what's your background and, and how did that lead you to Facing History in ourselves? Well, you know, that's a great question. I love, you know, Facing History, we talk a lot about identity and who we are and how we get to where we are. Um, and journeys are always so interesting. So I was on a day school educator pathway. I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. Um, from a young age, you know, I was just remembering my son is starting to babysit and running a little summer camp pod in these odd times. And I was remembering, you know, going babysitting with my like babysitter backpack with all my educational lessons that I was going to bring to these kids as a teenager. So you know, it's always been sort of part of my DNA and part of what I wanted to do. And I started teaching actually after I, I, I'm a Winnipegger, grew up in Winnipeg, and I started teaching. Um, I moved to Toronto and started teaching at the Heschel School many, 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 many lifetimes ago, it feels like at this point, um, and taught there for a couple of years and then um, went to graduate school and actually went to graduate school at Brandeis in what's now called um, the Hornstein Program for Jewish Professional Leadership mm-hmm. and did a joint degree in Jewish, in Jewish, um, actually Middle Eastern and Jewish studies and uh, did a joint master's and, and thinking that I would sort of get this degree, focus in on day school education, come back to the classroom, eventually work my way through sort of into the administration path. That was my vision and that was where I was going. And then, you know, sort of interesting opportunities come before you. And and it was a a wonderful opportunity to be in Boston and really thinking more broadly about what Jewish education might look like and the different places in which we might learn and convey Jewish, you know, really think deeply about Jewish identity and what it means to be Jewish living in North America. And I, as part of an internship year, I was placed at Facing History and Ourselves in Boston, which is where our head office was, where we started over 40 years ago. And really, um, as you know, we're, we're, as I was sent there, I, I began working as an intern at the Jewish in the Jewish Education Program of Facing History, which maybe we can sort of talk about a bit later in the conversation. But my still really focused in on Jewish education while I was there. You know, my own experience of learning the Holocaust in a Jewish day school setting um, was very much connected to 
you know, why we should be Jewish, how we think about our Jewish identity, and the Holocaust was really centrally part of that narrative, um, which I think is is complicated. I think it is, and we can, again, an interesting Absolutely. point of conversation for later, um, but, but Facing History in Ourselves is not a Jewish organization, was not started by Jewish it was actually our found, one of our founders actually is a Jewish woman from Memphis. Um, but the motivation for find for starting facing history was really centered on her growing up in segregated South. Yes, Jewish identity played a role in it, but you know, facing history not being a Jewish organization, the goal of facing history is in fact to empower young people to recognize that their choices make that history is made up of choices and therefore to empower them to recognize that their choices matter. And so here was a place where I was sitting in a Jewish education program, but thinking about the bigger lessons. What can we do beyond just thinking about what the Holocaust might mean to me as a Jewish person? And that was really life-changing for me in the way I thought about history, the way I thought about our role as individuals within history. Um, and I would, and sort of that's, that's how I found myself in facing history. I, I then sort of held on at every place, every point along the way. So when my internship was finished, I was, you know, so connected to the work of the organization, so connected to my colleagues, and really, like, held on for dear life and convinced them, actually, you know, it, it was possible to open up a position for, at, in, as, you know, additional growth in the Jewish education program, still working with Jewish day schools in North America. And then as I sort of continued at Facing History, um, started working with schools across North America. So working at a distance with schools in general. And um, when it we had an opportunity, my partner and I are both Canadian and we had an opportunity to come home to Canada. Once again, convinced the, you know, convinced them that I should be able to telecommute. I could teach online courses and still move back home to Toronto or home to Canada, move to Toronto. Right. And, um, you know, and that's, that's the very, I guess, long story of how facing history here began in that, um, Again, we can talk about this more, but when I landed in Toronto, what I what I learned was that there's actually there had been many years, actually going back to the early 80s, of educators here in Toronto who had connected to Facing History in the U.S. and had gone to the U.S. for training and to get to know Facing History. And as those incredible women um, moved through into leadership positions in education in Toronto took facing history with them. And so facing history actually had these fantastically deep seeds that had already been planted when I, when I landed here. And so um, again, we can, we can talk about the, the program here in Canada, but, but it really started long before I landed here and my connection to facing history began in our U S office, uh, in in Brookline, Massachusetts, connected to the Jewish education program. That's really interesting. So you could say that when you came here, you you know your your job was really to nurture the program that already had started, rather than start from scratch. And it gave you a group of people that you uh, you can actually work with already. Yeah, which is it, great. It's actually even funnier, Corey, because what it was was that I was told, you know we've made it work for you to telecommute essentially from Toronto and do your work with teachers across North America. And I was able to teach online courses, which were just starting at this point. This is going back to 2006. And so, you know, I, and then in sort of these extra moments with these incredible leaders, um, I was able to, we were able to, and, and some really key moments that we can talk about, um, 
including the development of the TDSB Genocide and Crimes Against Humanities course. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was, it was funny because there was no intention of facing history in ourselves at the time to say, you know, go to Toronto and open up a Canadian office. It was really very serendipitous that I found myself here with partners, with leaders, with people who could make introductions, with people who were very, very committed to making a place for facing history here in Canada. Right. Well, that, that actually, I, I just have one question about that because you just reminded me when you said the Genocide and Crimes Against Humanity mm -hmm. course with TDSB. Um, what was the genesis of that program? Did they come to you? Did you go to them? Was it a combination? Yeah, it was so interesting. So this was right around, you know, within the first year, or no, actually the first, the year after I had arrived, um, we, I was invited to be part, you know, actually the first meeting was probably sort of within that first year. Um, because of the the roles, actually, it was Margaret Wells and Myra Novogrodsky who had been those, you know, two women who had been so committed to bringing Facing History here, um, you know, as classroom teachers, um, and then worked their way through into positions at the Toronto, the old Toronto board. And when I moved here, they were one, um, Margaret was at OISE and Myra was at York University. Um, but they were really, they are truly respected, incredible educators in equity in the province, early, early days. Right. Um, and um, they were invited to be part of a committee that was formed about at following actually Ger Ger Jerry Gershon's motion that was put forth and passed to revisit early work that had been done in Holocaust education in this pro in, in at the, the old board and at the old Toronto board before amalgamation and um, bring it up to date and and investigate how that core what what that course might look like and so a committee was formed um, and and because of the connections and because actually so many of the people around the in the, at the committee at working at the board knew of facing history um, right. I was invited to be a member of that committee, as were other people, um, as other organizations in the city doing related work. Um, and that was that was an incredible opportunity and such a gift to work with the team, both from TDSB, but also from other organizations in the city to really think about what this course might look like. That sounds, I, you know, I'm always curious when I hear things like that and I hear about courses like that, and I know that there are other boards in the city. I mean, obviously this is some years later from when it was yeah. instituted and put in place, but I know there's other boards that can definitely benefit from courses like that. I know there are curricula available through the Ministry of Education that can be adapted or changed or, mm -hmm. you know, can focus on, on the type of courses, but it would seem to me that especially these days, that's kind of something we really need the students to be learning. It's really something that needs to be put in place. I mean, the recent, um, you know, action by the board to make genocide education mandatory at TDSB. Yeah. I don't see any other boards following that example. And you would think that that's a no brainer. Let's, you know, we need that education now. So why aren't we instituting it instead of just complaining and saying, oh, we don't have as much room for electives now, or we don't have as much, you know, freedom to institute courses. It's, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And the fact that there's already a course in existence you know, that was put together specifically for teachers, by teachers, in order to execute curriculum standards, 
it just boggles the mind. It does, and yet I, 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 it will be very, very interesting to see what happens with that motion. I mean, I would be overjoyed, and the fact that um, that that genocide and crimes against humanity's course, all these years later, is is still front and center in that conversation. That course is, um, it is so exciting, and I, you know, the the profile that was developed back in 2008 was, I believe, the year that it was released. You know, that needs to be revisited. It, it, we need to rethink all right. these years later is what that looks like. And when we talk about genocide, what are we saying? And, and what, how does that, cla that course look? But the, the ministry document itself, the curriculum, like the outlines, the, the expectations, I, I, the whole committee, but I can speak for myself. I mean, I'm just, I was, I am, continue. I'm so proud of that course and how... Um, how well thought through and led by TDSB um, that course really is. And then, you know, the because it is, um, while it's locally developed, it is a course that can be taught in other school boards. You know, that, that course also then became the way Facing History grew. So Facing History was, you know, the way the profile is built from TDSB. Um, the way we worked with teachers, it was very much informed by the pedagogical approach of facing history and many of our resources and um, the way we think about not only the teaching of history, but how to then move young people through that learning to action, to recognizing the role they play, to recognizing the fragility of democ democracies and how important it is to uphold the tenants, right? To see when, you know, these are, and, and I, I cannot say enough how, even more important those that feels today even it is always important it is never important Definitely, you never just yeah. like let go of oh just don't worry about democracy but then we have these moments where you just you see it you feel it you can really you know our students really are are very much wrestling with these notions and and seeing um how important their voices are in a way that i don't i have never felt as as urgent um as it is today but that course itself you know, as it grew, we we grew we grew with it, um, and so we we became. That's how we started working outside of our relationship with with school boards who had known us or had connections to those early days and all the way through from the eighties. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I would. I mean, it will be so interesting to see what happens with that motion and and how um, how what it would mean to say that this course is is a, you know, or that genocide education is mandatory. Mm -hmm. And then to say what we mean by genocide education. I mean, that's the next conversation. Right, it's absolutely. It's always to talk about. And that's, you know, that's very much a conversation that, that facing history is is deeply involved in, the, thinking about what it, what, what, what constitutes genocide, how we inform our students to understand um, the evolution of the genocide convention. I mean, these are, this is what we, you know, the idea that young people across the province are going to be able to do in Toronto and then maybe beyond will be able to really wrestle with these ideas and think about not only what it means historically, but what then our responsibilities are today is, is tremendously exciting. Right. I, I think actually, if I'm not mistaken, I pretty much think I saw in uh, John Malloy's Twitter account that, outgoing director of education yeah. for TDSB who's retiring, um, that the motion actually did pass and they're encouraging okay. others to um, to adopt the same p 
policies within their boards uh, and the province as well. I, I think there was something about, you know, some uh, mentioned to, uh, uh, they tagged Stephen Leachy saying like we need to do this across the province now. So That's I believe, so you know, unless I'm, you know, well, we'll have to do a little mind, fact check but. of our, that's <laughs> great. You know, it's so funny because I just read, I just saw that there was something released last night and I thought that, so that's, that is very interesting. It'll be interesting to see how the motion is then pa went, you know, passed and then implemented, right. right? So what does it actually look like? What comes off the books? What, what stays on the books? And, and, you know, I hope that facing history and our, in our relationship and our ongoing relationship with TDSB will be part of that, you know, helping support the board in, in navigating that. I think that's that is so exciting. That would be a good thing because I know that um, there's a lot of people that they think that I have all this, you know, I have this wealth of knowledge about a certain particular subject area and I want to share this with people. Um, but like you said, Facing History took a pedagogical approach to it and a lot of people don't really understand how do you approach students? How do you give them the basics? Where do you start with the information before you start giving them more information? Um, you know, I, I, I know there's a, a facing history on your website. There's there's on-demand videos. And I know one of the workshops that's put up there is preparing students for Holocaust education. And I, I think that's really key. Uh, I tell teachers when I go in and I do training for, for teachers and I help people out, they say, you know, oh, can we do this on Holocaust education? My first question is, well, what have they had so far? What do they know about it? What are the basics? Do they understand, you know, where it came from? Is there any understanding of the history of anti-Semitism? Because that leads up to it. Is there any understanding of the actions taken by the Nazi party before they were even the Nazi party that was leading up to the events of the Holocaust? And, you know, more often than not, I get, uh, I, I get no, not really. We haven't discussed that with them. You know, grade 10 history has, we cover World War II and we cover the Holocaust, but right. to most of them, that's a page in a textbook. And then they move on to something else because you know, I'm not slamming the teachers in the history courses, but really they only have so much time to cover so much mandatory curriculum and they have to get everything in, you know, and there's certainly those out there who will cover it more, but we really if you're going to get in depth about these things, you really have to have some background information to do that. I mean, you can't, you, know, you don't build a house, you just stick it on top of mud and you build the right. house. If you don't have a foundation, right. it's going to it, fall down. I, uh, yes. Okay. And here's the real time podcast moment. Okay. The motion was approved. The release Wednesday, June 17th. 2020, it was approved. At tonight's meeting, the Toronto District School Board Trustees approved a motion calling on the Ministry of Education. So it'll be interesting. And now, of course, right. because we're in our conversation, I'm not going to read this whole thing. But it is an interesting in-the-moment update to your point on the right. earlier. And, and so, again, this is exactly um, what so how do we prepare students? So there is, I love how you frame this sort of the house on the foundation. I think there is... Um, with young people, this idea that everything is okay and then it's not okay, right? So everything's okay and everyone's living happily together and then we enter in, and then all of a sudden, you know, Jewish people and others are being, you know, Jewish people are being sent to concentration camps or to right. ghettos. And, and most of the time it's not even ghettos, right? Like we're jumping right to extermination camps in, in the eyes of sort of this misunderstood history because there's no foundation to the house. 
and and how we talk about that foundation is so critical because you know as we just said if we really want lessons of democracy and the fragility of democracy and we want young people if a history begins when people are already being murdered we have so many i mean we could spend the next three hours talking about how problematic that is absolutely and it, so it, it's problematic because that takes away all agency right if i don't have an opportunity to actually um think about the complexity of how of what led to that moment being possible then well then not everything you know then i have no agency then of course like how could how could one stop that in that moment and so without the history that leads to that moment we take so much away from young people so that one page in in the middle of world war 2 and then the question is which is a great one um well where does that history start right when when do we when do we start looking at um at what it what what it means to teach about the holocaust right like if we're teaching about the holocaust of course we're not starting at the establishment of death camps right in murder and murder centers right but but so how far back do we go and so this is really an important conversation that we have with with teachers who are slammed by curriculum right so so you can't start there but then where do you start when you're also teaching a course that begins at World War 1 and ends at you know with the example of grade 10 history right where where the holocaust can and should and has to be taught question is how is it taught right so if you're in the middle of a course that starts in World War 1 and it ends today so every year that course becomes longer and there's more to teach how do i navigate that and how long do i spend in teaching that course so we've actually spent a lot of time at facing history helping educators navigate these monster courses like grade 10 history when i first landed in toronto and there was there were teachers who were teaching about the holocaust they would say you know i love facing history i teach it in grade 10 history and i teach it for like 4 months i teach about the holocaust and i'm like well that's lovely i'm like very honored that you love facing history and uh, i'm incredibly honored that like and i'm also think it's really important to like value how important you think the whole you use you view the holocaust is in the scope of that work but there is no way you are finishing that course like i'm like thinking like where do you end like do you even get to the 80s there's no way right. so and i should say like to note there are also teachers that teach world war 1 for that period of time right so you find your entry point and what you're finding interesting and you just stay there and so what we've actually done is help create pathways for teachers so they can help what we call sort of a pacing guide or guidance to help teachers we we've now been offering a grade 10 history seminar for teachers we have an online self-paced course for teachers so they can work through that content uh, on their own which is housed on our website and so we help teachers think about the pacing and how you actually can teach about the holocaust and make and finish that course and when you do teach about the holocaust to make my very long answer a little shorter i mean to your point about the foundation yes you need to find the time to talk about the history of antisemitism that is critical um this antisemitism was not created by the nazis and so right. young people and and part of the reason why that is incredibly important today is because the same this the very same stereotypes and and trope and images and this that are that you see 
is you study the history of anti-Semitism, those same images that are picked up by the Nazis and perpetuated by the Nazis and the stereotypes that they, they put forth are also seen today. And so that through line, again, when you're talking about students not just seeing something in the past, that it stays in the past, understanding that these are these are repetitive, these trope emerge and come back over and over again, which is important for students and young people to be contemplating and examining. It's also obviously important to understand World War, you know, what happened in World War One, the economic situation. I mean, the, these are all so important and and in these stud the study of the holocaust you have to look back you also have to look forward right so when when does the history which is another great question you know when does the history of the holocaust end you, when in, in your grade 10 you know we tie up things we're like okay you know world war ii chapter done let's write a test and then we're going to move on to the cold war right. Right? right and again that's not if we think about which is the value of courses like the genocide and crimes against humanities course and what our students are supposed to be looking at is, you know, continuity and change. What what happens, right? Like, where are these, where do we see, you know, when we see, um, what are some really good examples? I mean, the way Canada responds to the Syrian refugees, for example, really connected, I think, if you think about the Canadian response to the MS St. Louis. Right? Right. And other moments where we have opened our borders or closed our borders. When have we thought? So I think that these, you know, to teach history, to teach about the Holocaust as just a unit or a bubble, right? That it, it sort of gets, it starts here, it ends here, we tie it up, we move on, loses the complexity of the moment and therefore also loses the 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 impact and the way we can learn from that history, Um if you don't study Weimar, how can we really examine the fragility of democracy? How can we right. really Absolutely. take a look at why it's important, right? So you lose the bigger, right? So as you study the particulars of the Holocaust, as you study that, the reason why it has bigger, you know, why it has this elevated meaning and importance to the lives of, the young, pe of young people today, Jewish and non-Jewish students, it's because we see, we have to recognize the importance of how it now needs to shape our actions today. If we learned about these moments, now what do we do about it? Right, and the learning is the key. I mean, you said we have to know about the past, um, we have to know about the future of the Holocaust, and I think we also need to recognize, um, I know it was a given, it was an unsaid, but the present effect of the Holocaust oh, on absolutely. our society today, and that impact aspect is key. Um, you know, like you said, we need to prep those students. We need to keep that going. And I find that a lot of teachers, especially in the public school system, um, they shy away from certain aspects. They, they're afraid to introduce certain elements. They say, oh, it's too shocking if we tell them that millions and millions of people died, mm -hmm. you know, or six million Jews were specifically targeted, that there's one and a half million children who were killed and murdered in the Holocaust they want to put everything in padding. And I keep telling these teachers, these kids are more resilient than you give them credit for. Yeah. They're more resistant to shock than anyone else in any point in history yeah. because of the environment that we live in and the accessibility to information on the internet, video games, social media. So it's okay to shock the kids. 
what we want to avoid is horrifying them for no reason, for just make, just for impact sake or for getting that expression on their face. Yeah. That's not okay. We, we shouldn't be horrifying them with images they can't handle, with, with descriptions and terminology that they can't handle. But to shock kids, to wake them up and say, this did happen. You right. need to be aware of this. That's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah. those that go into the other area that we really need to be careful of. And that's why it's so important, um, like you said, for teachers to know how to teach, but not, even, mm-hmm. not just teachers, everybody. I mean, community members, there are people who have discussions and conversations framed around anti-Semitism and the Holocaust. And I've been involved in conversations where they're so adamant about, you know, the particular language that they're choosing to, to use. And I, I'm sitting there thinking, and I, I would very rarely say this to someone, thinking, but thinking that you're actually using propagandist language to try to reinforce a point that is is counter or is in support of educating about the Holocaust or, or recognizing the Holocaust. But that's what the Nazis did in Germany in order to frame the Jews as non-humans was the propaganda. Why would you choose to take that same route, to take that same path, knowing what you know? You know, so we have to be careful about how we frame our language and how we introduce it. And teaching the teachers is, is a, an incredible way, especially those who aren't comfortable enough or don't feel they have enough yeah. knowledge to do it justice. You know, I think the teacher, all educators, you know, I, I've, been, I've been doing this work for many, 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 many years now. And, you know, when we're nervous as educators, in teaching something, you know, we do, I think we do sort of three things. One is we just plow through the content, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we go so fast, no one's going to ask, no one's going to ask a question. If I just like go really, really fast and I, you know, just go really fast and then write it, we write a test and we're done. So that's one technique. The other is like the PowerPoint, like here's my slide, here's my slide, here's my slide, here's my slide. And we move on. We invite a guest speaker or we go on a, on a, um, we sort of outsource it, Right. right? So we're not going to, you know, we'll go on a, we'll go on a trip. I'm not going to prepare the student. I'm going to rely on that organization to, to do that work for me. The other thing we do is we put on a movie, which is sort of a connection of all of both of them, right? We're going right. to, we're not going to touch it. So, you know, I was once in, this is, this is several years back, but I was, I was doing a guest lecture um, at, a, at, at a school of education, a pre-service, you know, group of students. And they all, you know, this is my own bias, right? So they all look pretty young. I asked them um, how many of them grew up in Ontario and took grade 10 history. These are history. These are students learning to be history teachers. I said, right. how many of you grew up in Toronto? The entire class in, in Ontario. How many of you remember taking grade 10 history? All, the whole class. I said, you know, how many of you learned about the Holocaust in that class by watching Schindler's List? I mean, this is not a study. This is not scientific. My husband, who's a scientist, would be mortified that I'm using this. But, you know, 90-something percent, most of the hands right. go up. And I think that that is actually really, uh, you know, well, not scientific data, and I would not extrapolate and say that this is every classroom. I, I do think that when teachers are not prepared for very good reason. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it's not the fault of the educators. How are they learning about the Holocaust? Where are they learning the skills? And so you're right, professional development becomes so important. And part of the professional development is yes, like how do you, both educating the teacher about the Holocaust, but more importantly, how do you teach? What's the methodology? What are the techniques? What are the resources? And, and that's very much why teachers turn to Facing History because we, we have we're an organization of teachers for teachers. And so as educators, we know what works and, and we work so closely with the classroom still so that, you know, 
teachers respect and know to turn to facing history. But it's also about how to create the spaces for these conversations to happen. So over the 40, now almost 45 years of the organization being in, a, in, in being on the ground in North America, um, you know, now we have a we now we have offices in the UK and we're working internationally. But we started in, in Brookline and in Massachusetts, like I said. And you know, over those 45 years we've developed strategies for how to have those conversations, mm -hmm. how to build spaces where students can trust one another, where teachers can trust themselves and their students, where teachers feel comfortable to say, no, I don't have the answer to that question and still feel comfortable opening up the opportunity to ask those big questions. I mean, as, as somewhere along the line, maybe it's humans and not just educators, but we feel like we have to have the answers. If we're going to be in front of that classroom, I better know how to answer those students' questions. And maybe that makes right. sense in a math class. Maybe that makes sense in science. Maybe not. I'm not, not a science teacher. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't make sense. But certainly there's some classes that, like, yeah, you need to have some answers. In, in a facing history in ourselves classroom, there are certainly questions. You are opening up the space for students to ask, ask questions that you may not have the answer to. And, and not only may, do you not have the answer for it, but there may not be an answer to it. And the best questions don't have these simple answers. A facing history in ourselves classroom when students are studying the Holocaust, it's not a multiple choice question and like test at the right. end. And yes, there's an intellectual rigor that is necessary. Students need to know the history. They need to know the places and the times and the chronology and the name. Like these are critical. You know, the studies that are coming out about what young people don't know is, is horrifying. Absolutely. But equally important is that they ask the questions that don't, like, and the reason why they're going to remember those dates and the places and the times is because they'll have had a meaningful education where some of the questions won't have answers. How and that goes back to what you were saying. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no. It, no. it, it goes back to what you're saying about the, the, the history teachers and checking off the boxes and getting those assessments and then yeah. closing the units. And it's, it's why do we have to close them? And we talk, you know, we talk so much about project-based learning. We talk so much about inquiry-based learning. Um, we talk so much about flipped classrooms where the students go out and do the research and they do the reading and the educating of themselves on their own and then coming into the classroom and really applying that learning and exploring it together. Why is it not okay then to leave a course or leave a section of a course with questions that need to be answered? Should they not be going out and exploring those ideas on their own and further developing those ideas for them? I mean, we're trying to teach these kids to be critical thinkers, but then we're saying it's only what we tell you to, to know that you're supposed to know. And that was, Awkward phrasing, but no, I think most I, people exactly, will get it. Yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. It's and yet, and these are lifelong lessons. And, and I yeah. should say, I mean, listen, I don't want anyone who listens to this think like, oh, facing history is not about you know we're we're all touchy feely and it's all about sort of these life lessons. No, I mean we also need to be, like I said, like rigorous in our teaching of history, and students need to be held accountable to their learning, and there is our assessment. And we do work with teachers to find, and it is also about, and the way we, one assesses classroom learning might look very different. 
and students may have the opportunity and could have the opportunity to express their learning in very different ways. So, yeah, I, I, I you know, it's, it's, it is, it is a, these lessons are lifelong lessons. And it may not even be until years later when a student, you know, we hear these stories from our educators where a student comes back years later and says, oh, you have no idea what I learned. Like, I, I, it only recently has become clear to me, you know, just how important those lessons were that we had in our classes. You know, these are, this is, this is lifelong learning. It certainly has been for me. Oh, yeah. And, and there, that's another point I wanted to make. You just said lifelong learning. Uh, so many educators like to identify themselves as, you know, I'm not a teacher, I'm a lifelong learner. You know, this is what I do. But then, like you said, they get up in front of a class and the class asks them a question. And they're so afraid to say, I don't know, that they either quickly shuffle on and shut down the question, or they, even worse and horrifyingly, make up answers. Okay. Um, and, and I've seen it myself. And one of the things I can guarantee you that's seen in my classrooms is when kids ask me a question, I don't know the answer, I tell them straight out, I don't know. Let's, let's look it up. Let's look it up. Let's figure or it out. on the other end of things is, I don't know, it's not really pertinent to what we're studying right now. But if you want to look into that and share that with the class, I encourage absolutely go ahead and do it. And I would welcome you to do that. So yeah. depending on the situation, you know, but there's, why would I be afraid to say those words? I don't know. How right. can I be an expert on everything and anything? How can any teacher be right. an expert on everything and anything that there and, is out there? And yet, you know, I'm sure you've also had, I mean, I've had the joy and benefit of being in some of the most incredible classrooms where, you know, you just see they're in this province across Canada. I mean, there are just exceptional teachers who we've learned as an organization. I mean, talk about our own professional learning um, and personal growth, professor, professional and personal growth, like being a lifelong learner, you know, just being able to sit in some some of these, you know, some of those, the Genocide and Crimes Against Humanities courses, classrooms, to see the kind of learning and reckoning and wrestling um, that takes place because of teachers who are just so, so committed to this work, because it is far easier, far easier to put on Schindler's List for two hours in your classroom. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I think that, I think teachers deserve, I should also say this, you know, I think teachers deserve professional development, you know, to be critical of teachers to say, well, you know, how could they be teaching in this way? It's not about that. It really, truly isn't. It is, it is, it is hard being an educator. It is really difficult work. Um, so much of what we're expected to teach, we didn't learn in either our own school or even when we were sure. learning to be educators in school, you know, and so much has changed. And so to just see the commitment of teachers for their, to their own professional development, we have teachers every summer, including this one where teachers are not coming face to face, but are dedicating hours online to their own professional growth and taking our summer seminars that are now um, either offered in, in sort of long six weeks, six week online asynchronous courses or these intensive three-day, four-day learning experiences, which are more sort of synchronous learning. So, you know, teachers, even today with so much going on, are so committed to their their own professional growth and learning that we are seeing teachers in greater numbers than ever turn to us for professional development. 
to support right. them in their classrooms. Well, you know, it might be an upstream battle, but we know when salmon stop swimming upstream, they die. So, you know, it's evolve or die is, is the kind of the situation, right? We have to keep learning. We have to keep evolving. Um, and we see that. I mean, we know that with teachers. We know that from statistics. Stagnation is like the enemy. When you become bored with what you're teaching, when you become bored with your job in any field, um, you don't do as good a job. And, and we have such a critical job. We're educating others. There's such a responsibility there that we need to take it seriously. We need to be aware of the fact that this is not, I mean, of course it's a job, of course it's a profession, but it's also, you know, in a lot of ways, it's a privilege to be able to be in this position of, of I, wanna, I, I don't wanna say power, but significance in, in the development of young people's lives um, and even adults. Yeah. Because we, we still help the adults to develop as well. Some of them need that development and they need that growth and they might come seeking it or they might hear about it from others. Uh, but it's just as critical as, as the learning that the young people are getting. And, you know, the other adults that we see more and more being impacted by facing history in ourselves are the parents. And mm -hmm. so we, we've been hearing more and more stories from our educators who say, you know, I heard, you know, a parent came in or wrote me a letter or, you know, a student that, a student that doesn't even speak in class is going home. And these are high school students. Like, these are not right. students who typically, like, but that, that students are sharing. And so that's a really important sort of, I think, of the ripple effect of Facing History. So it's not only the educators and their community and the people who they're speaking to and the students and their you know, their potential and where they go, but it's also the students and the parents and the ad or the adults in their lives, their guardians, um, the people who they, they get to them, the students then get to teach. So, you know, the ripple effect of these, of, of really good education around the Holocaust, around any topic, but, you know, for the purpose of this conversation around the Holocaust is just, it, ha it has deep impact and that, that, that feels so gratifying for us as an organization. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's so important that we get that. It's, it's that, that, like you said, that ripple effect, you know, it's not, we talk about the ripple effect or butterfly effect where, you know, one action causes so many more uh, reactions, which can significantly influence something. And this is part of it, right? We want to make sure that the right actions are taking place so that that ripple effect doesn't lead to negative consequences. It's a positive thing. Uh, I just, I, I want to shift a little bit into another direction, uh -huh. um, not a completely different direction because we're having a conversation on topic, but uh -huh. when we talk about, so we talked about the genocide course in TDSB, we talked about the importance of teaching the Holocaust. Um, there are those who would identify the Holocaust saying it's just another genocide or it's, uh -huh. you know, it doesn't have particular significance. What do you think about that? I mean, I don't think it's correct. I think, but I would also say that, you know, every genocide has its particulars and its importance. Mm -hmm. um, and I really hesitate, not hesitate, I mean, that's not even strong enough a statement. I mean, I, I refuse to engage in a conversation where we're comparing suffering or numbers or, I mean, it's just so, it, it just has no purpose. Now, that being said, the Holocaust has particular significance, both from, for, you know, for, an, inter from, for in an international community and then for Jewish people 
again, in particular. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the Holocaust, why study the Holocaust? Why, like, sort of that kind of question that some people like, why, why does it have meaning today? It has significant meaning mm. today. You know, out of the Holocaust, we see the development if I just think about like why study the Holocaust from a global perspective, right? So there are lots of reasons, and I, you know, from this conversation, we will not even highlight all of them, but a couple, you know, several that come to mind: international law and human rights out of the UN, right? That you see the Genocide Convention and the UN, you know, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. This emerges out of the moment of the Holocaust, um, and that's that's critical to study from an emergence of human rights law. Um, from a, as we, if we look at, again, earlier we talked about anti-Semitism. You need to understand the Holocaust and know where the, where the Holocaust sits in, in the history of anti-Semitism in order to understand in part what we see today, right? right. And, and, and we also understand that we, you know, I think it's also important to note the failings post Holocaust, right? After the Holocaust, there was this, this statement that we all, you know, everyone, you know, never again, never again, and yet we see again and again and again, and that's important. You have, you know, for that very reason, you need to understand the Holocaust. And, and then as you study genocide, you know, you, this is, it's so, so important because facing history while we, you know, we began our work, our core began in studying the Holocaust. That's where we, we began as an organization. And since then, we've developed other historical case studies that we look at. In Canada, for us, most importantly, we, we developed in partnership a resource on the, on the residential schools. And we've been doing a lot of work on the residential schools and its related legacies, including, no, and it's related, we don't, for another conversation. Um, but it's so important that, you know, there are, we learn, we can learn a lot by looking at genocide beside each other. So, right. and yet, this is not to say, I mean, you, it needs to be made very clear that it, we need to avoid facile comparisons where we're just saying, this is just like this, this is just like that. Um, each genocide needs to be studied in its particulars, right? You need to understand the foundation Absolutely. that you said earlier, the foundation of that house. You have to understand how the Holocaust happened. You need to understand what happens after the Holocaust, just as you need to understand what led up to the establishment of the residential schools and what has happened in the aftermath of that since its closings around you know, intergenerational trauma, murdered and missing indigenous women and girls, right? So you, the, each, each moment needs to be studied in its, in its particulars. And the Holocaust is so important today, um, as we see, again, even having a conversation about democracy, understanding the establishment of Weimar right. and its ultimate demise is so helpful in informing our young people today in understanding why democratic values and rights are so important to uphold and what to do when you see them being eroded. And then there's a particular conversation about what the Holocaust means for Jewish people and, and why it is so important and continues to be so important. Um, so I think those are related and, and also, you know, important conversations to have 
separately, right? Commemoration, memorials, why this, why this need, why these need to happen. Right. And I, I think, I think that, um, you know, to add on to that, there's a lot of situations that occur these days of these days. It, it passed the Holocaust in, in recent history um, where those people who were perpetrators of genocides and, and committed horrible acts were actually taking lessons from what the Nazis did in Germany. And it goes back to that, you know, yeah. if, if we don't learn from the past, we're condemned to repeat it, as George Santayana said. I mean, we, we have to be aware of what happened in the past in order to address it in, in the present. Um, and especially when you mentioned democracy, I think that when you talk about the Weimar Republic, you know, if kids today, they kids today, adults today, yeah. everybody today takes it for granted. We're a democracy. You know, that's yeah. not something that's in danger. That's something that we're always going to have. That's who we are. But they need to see an example of where democracy was instituted. And it just fell apart because of the actions of one political party. Um, and they have to realize that, you know, it's, it's, it's not likely, but it's possible. So we need to be okay. aware of these things. We need to be, and where do you look for things? You look to history for things like that to, to learn from. Um, so they, uh, yeah. Right. It, and we it's can't just, take them for granted, right? Like, like I, I, I after, as, a, as someone who now has studied this history deeply, I don't take things for granted. I can't, mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't want our students to do that either. And, you know, how important is, is it for our young people to know that they have to vote? We have, like, horrifying voting rates in, in this country. Not only our country, I mean, we shouldn't be held, but yeah. in, in general. And how important is it to actually, you know, educate young people in high school so that they know how important it is? That they that they are they are they're the first in line on the first year, you know, when they turn eighteen and can vote. And the irony is, is that the people with the highest voter turnouts, those countries, are the ones claiming to be a yeah. democracy that are dictatorial, who are making up the votes. Oh, ninety-seven percent of the population voted, voted for the current dictator. Oh, really? Right. That's great. Right. How right. do we know that? Well, they were arrested, or they were, you know, there were guards <laughs> right. in the streets keeping yeah. them from entering the voting areas, but yeah, yeah they voted. Yeah, we have a we have a big map of of the world in our in our kitchen, and I have had conversations with my children about countries that have to put the word democratic in their names. Right, it's a, it's a note, you know. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we need to make it part of our name so everybody yeah. knows. Yeah, not always, right? Right. So you know, we we talked about history. We talked about obviously, obviously, we talked about history. Um, how could we not with an organization like Facing mm -hmm. History? But we talked about um, some of the lessons that we learned, but there's still lessons that aren't learned. I mean, last week, um, I'm not going to dignify the post with all, saying mm -hmm. the whole thing. There was a Twitter post where somebody yeah. said, you know, where they identified that 6 million human beings or 6 million right. people, people were killed. I mean, why, why, there's people that, why are they seeking to take this away from um, what we're doing and, and, you know, take away from people um, it's a good thing we're not doing video, but yeah. there's a there's a bunch of people that um, you know they they, they just can't they're, they're willing to recognize that the Holocaust happened or that there were deaths, yeah. but they don't want to recognize the particulars or they want to just take away from that aspect of it. Yeah, I mean, I think this goes to the importance of particulars, right? Like there. It, I mean, it, it, I don't even need to state. It's unacceptable, right? There's a very particular, there's a number and there's a, there's a group of people 
there were groups of people who are also often right. forgotten as we study or ignored as we studied the Holocaust. But when we talk about the number of six million, it is very important that there were six million. There were not six million human beings. There were 11 million plus human beings. There right. were, right? There were six million Jews who were murdered during the Holocaust. So I think that there's, and, and you know, I, I, don't, I don't know the tweet, right? But, and I don't know the motivation. But I do think that there's this, that there, and so I, you know, I will say that, you know, sometimes with the best of intentions, right? We want to make it meaningful. We want everybody to connect to this history. And, and yet, and so we, so we, we make so many sort of generalizations that we lose the, per, again, the word particular is like the theme of the, the, this interview, but you, you lose the particulars. You lose the fact that Jewish people were targeted for murder, right? Right. That is right. particular. And we do this all the time. In, like, we make these generalized statements in order to bring people in or to make people connect. And, and I think we do the opposite. I mean, we just, we, um, we, it, it just loses the meaning. It loses the, the you know, we have to call out, it, you know, I, I think it goes also to, to racist acts. Like, we need to call something out for what it is. If it is anti-Black racism, let's call it anti-Black racism. If it is anti-Indigenous racism, let's call it anti-Indigenous racism. Right. You know, right. Islamophobia, homo, like, let's, let's name it. Because in naming it, we can also then look at the root causes, look at systemic issues that led us to this point. You know, these are these are really important lessons for our students to understand that, you know, we can be making, we can be learning um, and, and holding moments side by side and, and hearing, you know, we've done some really meaningful work with um, Theodore Fontaine, who's a residential school survivor and is someone who's worked and advised our works, our, the work of facing history on residential schools so closely. And Nate Leipziger, who's a Holocaust survivor, who is also yeah. so deeply informed and guided and taught us about the Holocaust. And the, the two of them have, we've, have become friends and we've, we've brought them together in programs with educators and, and with students and with the larger community. And, you know, they have a deep relationship and they talk about the related, the connections between their lived experiences. And so right. you can and, learn and there a are lot. connections, yeah. And there are, and you can learn a lot. And yet, again, there are very specific differences that the two of them recognize and we need to mm -hmm. recognize, right? And and those are really important too. So yeah, I mean I think that when we when we just sort of make these statements, we lose when we remove the particulars, possibly, I mean, in this case it was anti-Semitic. I mean, you could I don't know, right? But but we sometimes remove the particulars in order to try to make bring meaning or to make it meaningful to kids today or to try to make you know people connect who are not you know for example like i want people to connect to the history of the holocaust who are not jewish and so i make a statement like this and yet it it does not we can't do that right we we need to actually hold the particulars in that study of that history so that that and still trust that people can make those meaningful connections and learn from those moments because why it makes no sense if I if you know just because I'm not Jewish does not mean that I can't connect to the Holocaust and right. just because I'm not indigenous does not mean that I can't connect to the importance of learning about the residential schools and and this goes on and on and on you know that we have to learn to connect to histories that are not our own 
um, again, if we can't do that, then then really what what learning what learning can happen? Right, and and if this particular tweet, whether it's it, it was explicit or implicit anti-Semitism, yeah. it still exists in the fact that they're trying to take away, they're trying to generalize, yeah. and the generalization leads to obfuscation, which um, you know, isn't yeah. isn't good for anyone's understanding. Um, you know, I had a someone who challenged me on Twitter sent something in and said, well, you know, you talk about the six million deaths of the Jewish people and the murders of the Jewish people, I corrected her, but mm-hmm. uh, she says, well, what about the, you know, the Russians and what about the Polish and what about the other people? And I said, listen, it, it, there's no doubt that there were other groups targeted by the Nazis yeah. and were involved, like we you know the 11 million. And there were many, many, many millions of more who were killed as part of the war in World War right. II. I said, but there's a difference between those who are systematically targeted for death and extermination as opposed to those who died while fighting for their country, while fighting for their freedom. Um, one is an act of war and one is just an act of horror. There's a difference. So when we talk about the Holocaust, we're specifically referring to uh, that action to eliminate and exterminate particular peoples rather than those who are combating the Nazis and, and their, their huge machine from world domination. Yeah. Um, and, and, then, and I think it's important to, to name those other peoples who were also like targeted groups, right. right? And I do so every time I do a presentation. Yeah, I talk absolutely. about the people of color. I talk about the LGBTQ so, plus community. Right. I talk Real about anyone. Fancy. I mean, yeah. the first people who, anyone who had, um, you know, any, any kind of uh, disability, disability or, or challenge, yeah. those were the first to go. Yeah. Um, you know, they were deemed by the Nazis as diseased or as defective. Um, and it was very hard. Right. This is, this is the, this was the machine, right? Right. Right. Uh, but I did have during one presentation, I had one, one student who stood up to me and came up to me and just to sort of counter this and that there's a recognition there's, he said, my, my grandparents, um, you know, they were in the Holocaust, they were Russian and they were Christian. And Mm -hmm. he said, they hid someone in their barn and my grandfather fought against the Germans, I mean, never mind the whole history of the involvement right. with Russia and Germany, but he's, he, you know, as far as he knows, he's like, they fought against this and that was a good thing. Like, that's what he recognizes mm-hmm. out of the talk. And this isn't a Jewish kid, you know, another, I had another kid, a Muslim kid who, who came up to me, we were having a conversation about parallels between the different mm-hmm. religions and acts that have been taken in the past. And he, you know, kids are great because they take things kind of at face value. They they suck it all in and they make to them it just okay this makes sense and i have questions and i often get the best questions from the kids not from the adults the adults try to think a little too much or mm-hmm. put too much into it sometimes not all the time yeah. but sometimes um, but the kids are just honest and straightforward and they say you know why yeah. what is this and you know sometimes it's hard to answer but i think it's very important for us to answer those questions mm-hmm. and make sure that you know, we're not afraid to name the specifics. We're not afraid to name the hatreds. We're not afraid right. to name, you know, the prejudices that are out there, regardless of which group. Right, exactly. You know, I mean, my, I present, you know, a lot on anti-Semitism and the Holocaust. Um, but I tell the groups that I present to that that's my lens. That's my right. experience, right? But I said, you can apply this to anything. The lessons that are learned from this are lessons learned about what happens when you allow hate to go unchecked. So you need to, you know, take it in and you need to understand and recognize the importance of these events. But you also need to understand that 
this is something, if we don't learn from it, it's not something that might only happen to the Jews. I mean, right. we know throughout history, the Jews were the barometer for the hatred, for the, for the subjugation of populations. And often the governments or certain, you know, groups or parties said, well, you know, we're, let's, let's try it with the Jews first, because that we're going to get the least amount of resistance from the general population with that minority. So, and then we'll move on to other groups. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's the poem, but right, the Niemöller poem. Right. So, you know, when you think about that, that's, that's proved true, actually, in many cases in history. Right. And, and, you know, I think that there's, so one of the, the very explicit way that facing history has built its sort of our, our methodology, our approach is that when we begin any study of history, but if we're specifically talking about the history of the Holocaust, we begin with an examination of identity and who we are and how our identity is shaped. And then in that conversation, we look at the, how we so often define ourselves in, you know, we are, I'm part of this group, I'm not part of this group. And there's, a, mm -hmm. there's sort of a human behavior tendency to how we divide in, into groupings and how, and, but, and then we see how what happens when one group is not only, I'm not part of that group, but that group is less than I am and groups become marginalized and what's at risk. And so the way we look at history you know, so then, and, and then we look at the history, right? And we look at the, what led up to the history, right? And so, and as we study the history, we're looking at the roles that people play and the role of, of victim, target, perpetrator, resistor, right? These, right. but most important, we're looking at the role of, I think, the role of bystander and upstander, mm -hmm. because we want young people to we want people to recognize that it so often we are we are the bystander. How easy it is to be the upstander, the bystander, and and how hard it is actually to become an upstander. You know that person who stands up to actually make change to say this is wrong. And so for that reason, you know, because we are because of the way we approach the learn the study of history. You know, after you know we learn we then think about judgment and and legacy and how we memorialize and how we commemorate and we close by thinking we sort of close and begin again actually by thinking about the roles that we play and the choices we make and how we are going to engage and what we're going to do after this study then you know that approach is exactly to your point why as you learn about the history of the holocaust with this way of thinking and learning it can then be applied to the way we think about other moments or other ways, other, other histories, other examples. And, and again, for us, the most important thing is, well, what are you going to do about it? If you've started your class at 180 odd days, if you're a full year, you know, yeah. days later, nothing has changed. You've just memorized some dates and places that that is that then we've done a disservice to those students um there's so much more than that can be learned um in these you know so much more that can be taken from these these lessons the particulars of learning about the holocaust in this way with this approach um really has um again like lifelong impact on on, on students lives um you know, we see increased rates of standing up for others in the research that we've done and the valuations, both internal right. and external. You know, 
increased rates of, of being able to, you know, students reporting that they're able to identify anti-Semitism and racism and prejudice when they see it in the world, right? These are, these are really critical. Um, and, you know, from, from a facing history perspective, that combination of recognizing hate and, anti, you know, anti-Semitism in its particulars, recognizing mm -hmm. it, and the data around, like, increased rates of standing up against that, you know, that's, that's the creation of, you know, if, we're in, if most of the facing history students, not all, obviously, most of we work in day schools and working in public school settings with diversity of students, the majority of our students are not Jewish students. Right. And so in that, in that twofold, right, increased recognition of anti-Semitism and increased rates of standing up, those are the allies. That's, that's, that's the equation for creating allies. And, right. and that's really critical. And, and that's I, every time I speak to a group or regardless of the group, um, the last, you know, I leave them, I say, I, I'm leaving you with homework. And, and I'm saying, yeah. this is not due at any point in time. This is lifelong homework. <laughs> right. you know, when you see something, you need to be the person to stand up and say something. And injustice, whether that's someone treating someone unfairly, whether that's someone discriminating against another person or looking down upon them. And I, I say to them, you know, you don't necessarily have to act in that moment and take action against the person but you need to talk about it. You need to tell someone who's in a position to act on it. Right. You need to share that and how wrong it is. And I said, that's what's going to make a difference. That's what's going to change the way we think. It's not just learning a bunch of facts like you said. Yeah. It's applying that knowledge. It's taking that and, and really making it part of who we are and, and how we live our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I, you know, it's critical. Um, you know, this has been an amazing conversation, but it's, so I think we're, we're, I think we're just uh, over an hour now. <laughs> I think we are. So, but before we wrap up, I just want to ask you, is there anything that I didn't ask you? Is there anything that you wanted to share with us or, or is there any point you wanted to bring up? No, I mean, I would love for educators to visit our website. It's facinghistory.org. Um, you can find us under the specific work that we're doing in Canada um, on our website. All of our professional development is listed. Um, at the moment, it's all online delivery, but at some point, hopefully in the future, we'll be back to face-to-face -face delivery. And we, we're supporting teachers. You know, Facing History exists globally, and our work here in Canada is truly across the country. Um, and so we have teachers everywhere. And so please please connect with us. That would be my, that would be my most important point to end with. You know, we're okay. here for teachers. And I agree wholeheartedly with what you say. I've been on the website. I've seen it. I've actually done the courses. I did the Holocaust and human behavior yeah. last year. Um, and I thought it was, just, there was some incredible information in there. Um, and I still, you know, I've been using the, the books as references. So um, definitely value there. Um, I actually, I have, yeah, I do. Uh, convenient hatred anti, up on top. You have anti-Semitism yeah. book. I can History see it. <laughs> of anti-Semitism on the shelf. So that's another one that I yeah. use uh, on a regular basis. So I, there, you know, I just I could say a whole bunch of stuff, but I think just just an incredible amount of resources and information that would be critical in somebody trying to develop their knowledge base of. Um, not only just anti-Semitism and Holocaust education, but discriminata discriminatory uh, education and, and, and all kinds of uh, information on groups that really um, need people to be their allies, to be those upstanders and stand up. Um, so I wanna really truly thank you for uh, having a conversation with me. I think that 
you know, those, those uh, my listeners who tune in will get a lot out of this and they'll get a lot of information about facing history and hopefully it'll help them to grow as well. This was a lot of fun, Corey. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you for listening to this episode of JTeach on Air. The opinions expressed by guests of this show are solely their own, and their appearance on the show does not imply endorsement by JTeach or JTeach on Air. To keep up to date with JTeach, be sure to check out our website and our YouTube channel, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Please consider supporting this podcast by making a donation through Patreon.com. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. Shalom, shalom.